You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So yes, over the past few months, uh, we've been looking at this, uh, this series uh, and asking this question, what if? We've been looking at some of the Jesus stories in Mark's Gospel uh, and asking the question, what if? What if the world could be like this? What if life could be lived in the way that Jesus lived? Uh, what if our communities could be shaped by his example and his teaching? What if we could see the kingdom of God here and now? When he was asked to sum up what God required of his people, Jesus said this, quoting from the Jewish scriptures, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, with all that you have, all that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus came not only to teach this, but to embody it, to live it out. And so another way to frame our question that we've been thinking about really is what if we chose the way of love? We've been trying to explore this question. What if this calling to love shaped the way that we saw ourselves, our neighbors, our world? That's what we've been trying to do over these past weeks and months as we've looked at some of these stories of Jesus. What it might look like. What if? And I hope that as we've gone through that and as you've kind of uh, sort of taken some of that, uh, listened to some of those talks and been part of some of those services, hopefully you've been inspired, you've been encouraged, challenged perhaps as well. Um, But it may be that you've also felt uh, a little bit uncomfortable perhaps at times. Maybe there's been a little voice somewhere in the background saying, yes, but. Because sometimes it can be hard to keep walking the way of love perhaps especially today, this week, as we try to come to terms with what's happened within our community. It can be hard to keep trusting when life is like this, when there's so much pain and sadness. And it can be hard to keep walking in the way of love when we feel bombarded with stories of human greed and arrogance and cruelty and corruption as we reflect on the destruction of the planet. There are times, perhaps, like me, when you just feel you can't listen. You don't want to watch the news. You don't want to read what's going on because it's just too much. It can be hard to keep walking the way of love when we try to do the right thing and it just blows up in our face. When those who don't seem to care about truth and goodness and compassion are getting on just fine. It can be hard sometimes, to keep walking the way of love. And so maybe, as we draw to the end of our series, there is another what-if lingering somewhere in the background, touched on by Jo last week, I think, in what she shared. And the question is this, what if it doesn't work? What if it's all a waste of time? What if, in the end, the kingdom of God is just a romantic ideal, but not something that could ever become a reality? What if it's all just a pipe dream? What if we're all just saying nice words to each other, but that's not the real world, is it? Which brings us to the last few chapters of Mark's Gospel, the final three chapters, in fact, in Mark's Gospel, chapters 14 to 16. We're not going to try and look at all of those, but at this, so far in Mark's Gospel, if you read Mark's Gospel, it kind of rattles along at quite a pace. Uh, A lot happens um, and things move quite quickly. And then as Jesus enters Jerusalem, things slow down. And then as we get to chapter 14, 
the pace really slows down. Which tells us that these chapters are really important. This is where the story has been heading. As Jesus finds himself in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. Mark wants us to stop, to slow down, to really take note of what's going on. So chapter 14 tells the story of the Last Supper. Uh, It takes us to Gethsemane where Jesus is arrested. We then read about how he's subject to a rigged trial before the Jewish authorities. And then about Peter, whose courage fails at the last moment and he ends up denying Jesus. And then as the narrative continues into chapter 15... Jesus is brought before Pilate, the Roman governor. He's sentenced to death. He's mocked, tortured, before being led out to be crucified in a show of Roman military might. This is what we can do, is the message. So let's pick up the story now as Julia comes to read from Mark chapter 15, verses 33 to 47. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Elohi, Elohi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling for Elijah. And one man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance, and among them was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Thank you. So this day that we, uh, we call Good Friday begins with Jesus before Pilate and ends up with Jesus' body being hurriedly dumped in a borrowed grave. And through all of this, through the whole story, but here especially, with Jesus remained faithful to his calling. He kept walking, continued to walk the way of love until the very end. We can see that in his care for his disciples at that last supper he shares as he tries to prepare them for what's to come. We see it in the way that he goes to Gethsemane and then allows himself to be taken, setting aside his divine power, refusing to resort to violence. Then in his agony on the cross, Jesus quotes Psalm 22 in that cry of desolation, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that's not just a convenient soundbite. Jesus has got the whole of the psalm in view which means that ultimately this is a cry of faith in the God who has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has listened to his cry for help. So the agony of abandonment is very real, but even in these moments, Jesus continues to trust in his Father. Some deep level of his being, somehow he holds on to that faith. So Jesus remains faithful to the end, living out 
in embodying his own challenge to his disciples, which Joe again reminded of us, us of last week, setting aside his own agenda and literally taking up his cross. So Jesus walks and then staggers the way of love to the very end. But what good does it do to him or to anyone else? Because we know that this isn't the end of the story, it's hard for us to appreciate just how desolate and void of hope Good Friday is as it unfolds in those dark hours outside Jerusalem. And it is dark, and it is bleak, literally dark, for three hours. Even after he dies, the humiliation continues. History has tended to view the Roman centurion in a positive light, sometimes even describing him as, as the first real Christian. There have been stories and films made. Maybe you imagine if you've seen, I don't know whether it's the greatest story ever told, you know, the John Wayne thing. Surely this was the son of God? Maybe not. But we've got this kind of sense, of, oh, well, at least the centurion gets it. But does he, really? He speaks those words when he looks at how Jesus dies. How does Jesus die? Jesus dies apparently abandoned, ashamed, in disgrace. I think the centurion is just doing his job. And I think we should hear his voice, in his voice, a bit of sarcasm. So, this was the Son of God, eh? This is the best you can offer against our military power and might. Huh. So much for your Messiah. And then Jesus' body is taken down. It's hastily disposed of before the Sabbath begins. And again, there's a bitter irony, isn't it? Jesus claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. And yet here he is in his death, subject to the laws of Sabbath. His body having to be disposed of before the Sabbath begins. So it seems from every perspective and every angle that this is utter defeat. Yes, Jesus has remained faithful, but so what? To what end? What good did it do? The only chink of light, and it's an important chink of light, is in the presence of the women in this story. It seems as the Sabbath begins, that evil has triumphed as love dies dead, lies dead and buried in a borrowed tomb. And it's important, isn't it, to acknowledge that sometimes life feels like that, as if love is dead and buried with everything else that's going on. But there are the women who are there. They remained with Jesus to the end. They witnessed his death and they saw where he was buried. Which brings us to chapter 16, and Sarah's going to come and read from Mark 16, 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? 
But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Thanks, Sarah. When Jesus was transfigured, in that moment where he, the, he, he met with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, and then again as he prayed in Gethsemane, he was accompanied by his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. But now, on this first day of the week, they're nowhere to be seen. Instead, there are three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. They will be the ones who will be the first to witness Jesus' resurrection. So they go to the tomb to properly bury Jesus, whose body has just been dumped. They find the stone rolled away. The tomb is empty, and a young man announces that Jesus has risen. He is not here. The powers that be have not had the last word. And this changes everything. And it brings us to our final question in this series. What if love wins? What if, after all, despite everything, what if love wins? And once we've read these opening verses of chapter 16, then our whole perspective on Mark's story of Jesus changes. As we go back into chapter 15, it doesn't gloss over the harsh realities of what's happened, but it enables us to see that what happened was, what seemed to be utter defeat, was in fact glorious triumph. Easter shows us, Easter Sunday shows us that the faith expressed in Psalm 22, that conviction that God will not abandon his servant, those words which Jesus takes for his own, that faith has not been misplaced. And it's not just the story of one man overcoming death, of the vindication of one of God's faithful servants. It's the sign that there is a new world coming. It's the confirmation that in the end, love wins. Not just in the life of this one man, but always and everywhere. Other New Testament writers go further in exploring the significance and the meaning of Jesus' resurrection. They help us to see that Jesus opened a door into eternity that can never be closed. But in terms of the story that Mark wants to tell, this is what he wants us to hear. That following Jesus is the way to life. These final chapters in Mark's gospel are the outworking, the proof, if you like, of those words of Jesus that we were thinking about last week. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life to embrace the good news of the kingdom, as Jesus did, will save it. This is the way to life. 
So what if love wins? And what if we lived our lives believing that nothing done in the name of love is wasted? What if we believed, really believed, that the way of love is the path to life? As we turn back to those words in uh, Mark chapter 16, and look at what the young man says to the women. We notice that they're not just, it's not just an announcement, but it's also an instruction. Jesus says, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Why the and Peter? Well, this is a reversal of what's just happened, isn't it? The disciples, first of all, fled, but Peter was the one who stuck with it. And yet, in the end, his courage fails and he too runs away. So this is a reversal of what's happened. This is an undoing of all of that. This is the community of disciples which seem to have fallen apart is now being reinstated, recommissioned. Those who had failed are being called back into service. But now it's different. And it's the presence of the women which is really significant, I think. Because it signals, in a way, in, within the cultural context of this book, it signals in the strongest possible way that this community is to be different. That this community is to be radically different, radically opposed to the power structures and hierarchies of the world. So these women who, Mark tells us, have remained faithful followers of Jesus from the very beginning, all the way through, often probably ignored and pushed to the edges while the men strut their stuff. And yet when it comes to it, where are the men to be found? Nowhere, it's the women. Those who are on the margins, those who've been ignored and overlooked, take center stage. And there's something hugely significant in that. So if Jesus is risen and transformed, if he is resurrected, the sense so is the community of his followers and this is what it looks like. And it's such a bitter irony, isn't it, that for nearly 2,000 years, for much of its history, the church has continued to oppress women. How did we miss the point so badly? Thankfully, much has changed, but there's still work to do, so much work to do, isn't it, in drawing in those who are on the margins to take center stage to really be a community of the resurrection where the voices of those on the edge are as important as the voices of those on the stages in the middle of things. This is what resurrection looks like as it's lived out, as it's worked out. And then the young man instructs these women to go back to Galilee where they will see Jesus. They're not to see him there. They will go back to Galilee and see him there. So the story goes back full circle. We're back to where we started, in Galilee, where these people first met Jesus. That's where they need to go in order to meet him again, to see him again, to encounter him. So again, Mark is saying, this story is not finished. This community is not finished. This is what resurrection looks like. And notice as well the women's response. They're ecstatic. It says they trembled. They're, they're ecstatic, literally. 
But they're also terrified. They're scared. Which is, if you think about it, a proper response to the resurrection, if we really understand what it means. Because, yes, following Jesus means discovering a joy and a hope that we never thought possible. But it's also a bit scary if we really mean to take up our cross and follow. We're serious about being part of this community of the resurrection. There is a sense in which we should be a little bit scared. And then the text ends abruptly, doesn't it? This isn't what we, how we would expect things to finish. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Well, clearly they said something to someone at some point, otherwise we wouldn't be here this morning. But why, why does it end like this? Well, lots of people have sort of taken the view that, that the actual original, it's pretty clear actually if you read on that the rest of Mark's gospel from verse 9 onwards, that was clearly added later by somebody who thought, well, this isn't a good way to end things. We need to fill in the gaps and just round everything off nice and neatly. So it's kind of pretty obvious really that that's, that was what happened. But a lot of people think that actually maybe what happened here originally was that the end of Mark's gospel just got lost. That the end of the, the kind of manuscript, the scroll, was just lost uh, and, and never recovered. But actually it wasn't that unusual within that culture for stories and plays to end in this way with the players just leaving the stage. And if it's Mark's intention to end his story like this then I think it tells us two things. It tells us, first of all, that affirming our belief in the resurrection doesn't mean that we can or should understand it. Perhaps there's intentionally no description of the risen Jesus. Because it's so easy to miss the point, isn't it, and just get drawn into the technicalities, the practicalities. What did he look like? All of that stuff. It's enough to know that the tomb is empty that he's not here, Mark seems to be saying. And secondly, and more importantly perhaps, it leaves us with a question and it extends an invitation. Will we follow this Jesus? Will we, in a sense, go back to Galilee and encounter Jesus on the way as we choose to walk the way of love? And that, in the end, is the invitation and the challenge of Mark's gospel to follow Jesus in the way of love, no matter where it takes us. And so, what if love wins? And what if we chose each day to walk the way of love? And it maybe sounds grand, but it often isn't. It's about doggedly pursuing the way of love in the midst of fear and confusion and pain. It's about choosing to do the right thing even when no one else seems bothered. It's about choosing to give and give and give again. And it begins with the choice to love ourselves, which is perhaps the hardest of all. And so, this day, and in the days to come, may we know that love wins in the end. And may we live courageously as a resurrection community, following Jesus in the way of love. 
You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.